Good morning, church. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And um, as always, I want to encourage you, if you have not already found it, to put your hands on the listening guide that you'll find in the worship folder, and it'll help you follow along as we study today. And uh, so many of you have, have been encouraged, have voiced to me how much this series has been helpful to you. We've been in a series on on tough-to-love relationships and talking about how the Bible is so practical in giving you and I direction, how with the help of Jesus who lives in us, how we can deal with our most difficult relationships. And we've looked at a variety of things. We've looked at, um, <clears throat> when we started out the series, we talked about wisdom for your worst relationships, and, and we discovered that God has a purpose when you have a tough relationship. He's at work. He's doing something. Uh, we describe those special people as heavenly sandpaper, and he, he's often using those individuals to take something out of us or to change us or put something into us that, uh, that is uh, more like Jesus. And, and so we've been studying that, and we looked at reconciliation, how to deal with conflict and personal relationships. We talked about abuse. We talked about when you can't say no and you just find yourself in a kind of a bondage relationship where uh, someone is taking advantage of you talked about a lot of different things and um, and as we've gone through this series maybe you're thinking pastor I don't have any difficult relationships well maybe that's because you are the difficult relationship I don't know Um, most of us have them and I want to encourage you um, to continue to study these long after we finish if you missed one and you'd like to watch it it'll be online Uh, you can get to it off our website we also have if you want to go a little deeper in some of the most intimate relationship challenges that you have, we have a series of resource guides that you'll find in the hallway behind me, um, behind the auditorium as you go to the uh, gym. And we call them Win at Home resources. And there's, there's things that help you there if you're struggling with a child who's running from God or an unbelieving spouse or uh, some other kind of challenging relationship. Uh, I think I saw a great illustration this week of Loving the tough to love, this week our, our choir, our entire choir picked up and went to the prison for city and held a worship service on Wednesday night. And there's a lot of red tape and a lot of uh, feelings that you might experience if you go into that setting for the first time. And I was so blessed as, as a brother and as a pastor to watch uh, over 30 of your brothers and sisters go and share Christ in that setting. And uh, they loved on them, and, uh, and God came and did a work in the hearts of so many young men. And so I, I praise God for that. What an illustration of taking the church and taking down the walls and going where the love of God is needed the most. And it's in those tougher relationships that you have the very same opportunity to take the walls down and to show the love of God. The passage of Scripture we're focusing on today is going to help us identify disciplines for dealing with difficult people. That's the title of the message, Disciplines for Dealing with Difficult People. And those individuals we're looking at today, we've looked at, I don't know, we've looked at a total of seven different kinds of situations. We could have talked about hundreds. There are so many kinds of difficult situations we have not addressed. And so our our goal this morning is to give some basic biblical guidance from the Lord Jesus himself in how to deal with those difficult people. Our passage is Matthew 5, verse 43, 
And the Bible says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So Jesus is very clear in how you and I are to deal with difficult people, and it's not easy. It's not easy. And as we're going to see as we progress, it becomes more difficult as you look at each of these disciplines. And I can tell you now that as we finish today, you're going to realize, I can't do this in my own strength. I need Jesus. And so let's explore what Jesus taught, and then we'll talk about how we can actually do it. Five ways to to love the tough-to-love people in your life. Discipline number one, grow a tough skin without losing a tender heart. Grow a tough skin without losing a tender heart. Again in verse 43, he said, you have heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's normal, that's natural, but I say to you, love your enemies. Most unnatural thing that I can imagine. So much easier to react. So much easier to to let them get under your skin. So much easier to hate. And Jesus says to you and me, don't go there. That's not where I want you to be. I've got something else in mind for you. You see, when someone's mean to you, rude to you, unkind to you, that says more about who they are and says almost nothing about who you are. The the telling thing about you and me is how we respond. How I react shows the level of emotional and spiritual maturity that's in my heart. And, And that's why Jesus says, don't go there, don't be like that. I am trying to accomplish something in your life I don't want you to hate. Uh, if you wanted to, there's so many things that you could be offended by every day, all around you, on the radio, on the road, in town, relationships, friends. There's so many ways you could be offended. You could walk around offended all the time. Amen? You really could. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be also unhappy most of your life. And uh, he says, I want you to be blessed. He says, don't live like that. You need a tough skin and a tender heart. In Proverbs 12, verse 16, the Bible says, A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers his shame. So when a fool is angry, everybody knows about it. But a prudent man, he says, covers his shame. Now shame uh, is what you and I experience when something is exposed that generally I don't want exposed. But here, this word goes a little bit deeper. It describes the shame associated with low social standing. The kind of shame associated with a place in our society where no one gives respect to someone at that place. And when someone cuts you down, someone insults you, that's what they're doing. They're relegating you to a place of no respect, no honor, and and it's a place of shame. Now, what this prudent man does is cover it. 
Now, that word cover is often used to describe forgiveness. And, uh, and certainly that is involved in the text. But it goes a little bit deeper if you're talking about shame. You have insulted someone, and that person, if they're a prudent man, covers that shame that's generated by the insult. What does that mean? It means that they're not suppressing it. They're not going to create some kind of emotional a problem and need to go to counselors for 20 years because they're suppressing all their shame. Instead, he says they're covering it. What does that mean? It means I don't see it, not thinking about it, not paying attention to it. They're essentially ignoring it to where they don't see that. They're not focused on that. So what is he focusing on? Well, as we look at the verse again, I want to read it in another translation because there's a clue here in the text. In uh, the New Living Translation, Proverbs 12, 16, the same verse says, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So there's two words used to describe this person, and I want to call your attention to an insight related to both words. In one verse, it says he's a prudent man. In the other one, it says he's a wise man. Now, what that speaks to in both passages is that this person is not reacting out of some strong sense of emotion that's running out of control. But this man is still thinking. A wise man is thinking. A prudent man is thinking. Now, why is that significant? Because when you are insulted, someone hurts you, and you want to react, the first thing that happens is your emotions begin to go up, just like a thermostat. And your, your emotions begin to rise. And, and you know from your own experience, and scientists know it from research, that when your emotions go into a heightened state, they call it high anxiety, and when you're in a highly anxious state, guess what happens to your reasoning capability? It goes down. <laughs> so the more excited and anxious you are and upset you are, the less you're thinking. And what marks this individual who's able to cover the shame is that he is thinking, and he's able to dial the thermostat down. And his emotions are not in control, and he is maintaining some sense of rationality. He's making a choice. He's making a decision to cover the shame. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to pay attention to what that person has said or done. I'm going to go somewhere else with it. Where are they going? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us to wonder. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, the Bible says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. So what's that person doing? You've insulted him. In an ordinary scenario, his emotions will begin to, to rise. He gets upset. The more upset he gets, the less he thinks. And the more likely he is to let you get under his skin, and he's going to react with hostility, anger, retribution, or something like that. In contrast to that, you insult a prudent man, a wise man. He's keeping his emotions in check. He's thinking about what just happened. He covers the shame. I mean, that person was intending to hurt you or whatever. They get that. They understand that. They cover that say, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm not going to think about that. I am going to think about this other person, though. Why do you cover the shame? Well, sure, it protects me from losing my cool. But also, the Bible says, love covers all sins. That person makes a conscious choice not to hate but to love. And that's what Jesus is saying to you and me, to have a tough skin don't pay attention to that stuff, but have a tender heart. Make a choice to love that difficult person. There's a second discipline you and I need to develop when we deal with difficult people. The second one is to meet the wrong, meet 
the wrong directed at you with generous words. In verse 44, he says, bless those who curse you. You know, when someone curses you, I don't know that blessing is the first thing that comes to mind, is it? You know, you cannot control what other people say or do or even think, can you? You, can, you have no control over what they say and do to you. You have 100% control of what you say and do. And remember, in our very first study in this series, we talked about wisdom for your worst relationships. We talked about how God has a plan for your life, and he allows and uses difficult people who come into your life so that he can grow you to be more like Jesus. Those people are not in your life by accident. He has a purpose for them, a grand design for them. And so in the very situation where you want to explode and get upset and be crumbling and difficult and so forth, in that very same scenario, God is wanting to grow you and change you and make you a different kind of person. So you and I need to be very careful to do the right thing when someone else is doing the wrong thing. To respond the same as them is to become like them. To curse someone when they curse you makes you a person who curses others. To bless them takes you down a whole different trail in your development into the likeness of Jesus. <clears throat> That's why we're told over and over, you don't want to be like them. First Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Why? Because we don't want to become evil. And, and it says in Romans 12.17, same thing, repay no evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. So if someone does something hurtful, and I'm not supposed to hurt them back, what am I supposed to do? How do we respond? Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's pretty cool, isn't it? We don't fight fire with fire. We fight fire with a whole lot of holy water. And uh, we, we don't escalate situations. We want to de-escalate them. So what does that look like? 1 Peter 3, 9, not returning evil for evil. You will not become like Jesus doing that, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Now, where did Peter get that? I think he must have heard Jesus, who said, bless those who curse you. Don't, don't return evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So what's the rationale? Why should I do this? Why should I return blessing in the face of cursing? Well, he gives us two reasons. He's telling you, be generous to these people, be gracious to them. God was gracious to you. And I want you to be generous, and I want you to be gracious to them. And he says, knowing this, he said, you were called to this. That's the first thing he gives. You were called to this. God made you to bless others. You know, we talk about the Great Commission in terms of making disciples. The core root of that. It goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 when God gave promises to Abraham was that in him all the nations of the world will be what? Blessed. Blessed. And Jesus wants you and has called you to bless everyone, especially those who revile you, especially those who curse you. To this you were called. Now why? Why should we bless other people? He says, so I can bless you. He says that you may inherit a blessing. I want you to be a person who blesses. Why? Because I want to bless you. And I can't bless you if you're cursing people and you're 
returning evil for evil and that sort of thing. So how does God bless a person who blesses? Well, let me tell you one way he does it. One of the ways he blesses a person who, who blesses is he protects you from the, the malformation in your life that occurs when you are bitter and when you're resentful. Have you ever known someone over a period of years and when you knew them when they were younger, they were sweet people, they were kind, they, were, they smiled a lot, they were gracious people, they, they loved being around you and you loved being around them. And then something happened. They got into a bad marriage, they got into a bad relationship, something happened, they were hurt, and now you look at their countenance and all you see is darkness. And they are angry, and they are bitter, and they are resentful. And this person who was once happy and gracious is now bitter in their character, and they complain all the time, and they're never happy. You see, the blessing that God promises to you and me, in part, is liberty from that kind of result. He doesn't want your character. He doesn't want you to become that kind of bitter and hurtful person. So, meet the wrong directed at you with generous words. You say, Pastor, what about justice? You know, they do something wrong to me. They really deserve some kind of correction. What about justice? Well, unless it's illegal, let let the law take care of that. But God says in Romans 12 again, vengeance is mine. Hands off. I will repay. That's not your business. Ever. And as you and I realize that there is not a single wrong that's ever been done in the universe that God is going to let slip by at the end of time, not a single wrong, not a single abuse, not a single curse, not a single hurt is ever going to slip by the King of Kings in the final judgment. Not one. And every one of us are going to be facing that judgment one day. And you know, when I have a difficult person in my life, what he is telling me to do is saying, he's saying, Don, I want you to remember, vengeance is mine. It's not yours. And one day you and that person are going to stand before me. And I'm going to repay. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got no defense. You've got no shield. And you ought to be absolutely terrified of that day because the end result of that is an eternity in a place called hell without the love of God ever, ever again in your life. And you know, if I realize that about somebody, I don't care how mean they've been to me or how difficult they've been to me, what that ought to cause me to do is realize, you know, I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to experience that. And so instead of me trying to dish out some sort of mealy-mouthed retribution, you know, on a really small scale for what they've done, I have no clue how serious their sin is or how serious mine is. And I should have compassion, and I should want to give grace, and I I should want to see that person's life changed. Bless instead of curse. Number three, to love the tough-to-love people in your life, the third discipline is this, recognize and exit repetitious arguments. Say, Pastor, that's kind of a strange statement. It'll make sense here in a moment. In verse 44, Jesus said, do good to those who hate you. 
Do good to those who hate you. Now, we've talked about that already, blessing instead of cursing. But this goes much deeper. Jesus is calling you and I to watch for the opportunity to actually do something for the person who is difficult. In Proverbs 25, verse 21, the Bible says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now let's talk about those coals before we go too far. You know, okay, what I'm going to do is give some food to this guy and some water to him, and I hope it it really makes him miserable. Uh, That is not the objective of the coals. Uh, The coals are designed to arrest someone, to bring them to a place where they see uh, their, their, their problem, and they come to a place where now they're not going to tolerate it anymore. They've got to deal with it. Listen, if someone puts coals on your head, you're not going to stand there. <laughs> Will you? Anybody want coals on their head? You're not. You're going you're to realize there's a problem. You're going to begin to deal with it. When you and I go tit for tat, when, I, when they say something, I say something back. When they do something and I do something back, we get into this endless cycle that goes on and on and on and on. And instead of softening the heart, which makes it possible for them to hear the gospel and receive Jesus, I am actually hardening their heart. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Do good to these people. When, you do, when someone does something hurtful to you, they expect you to be hurtful back to them. But what if you don't do it? What if you don't say something ugly in return? What if you don't treat them the way that they have treated you? What happens to them at that moment? They're kind of going, suck and win. What do I do now? And suddenly, instead of just blaming you and blaming you and blaming you for the problems in the relationship, suddenly they can't blame you anymore because you are not the problem. And there's potential in that moment. Not always. It's not always going to happen. But there's potential in that moment that that person's ears can be opened, their mind can be opened, their heart can be softened, and they can hear the truth and change. But not if I am contributing to the hardness of their heart. Now, one of the places, and this is where the heading of the discipline comes from, to recognize and exit repetitious arguments. Um, One of the practical ways that you and I can do this is by giving careful attention to how we argue with people around us. You say, well, pastor, what are you talking about? Well, if you're close to somebody, you're going you're to have differences of opinion from time to time. Anybody married here? I mean, people tell me, you know, been married for 30 years, 40 years, we never had an argument. And I'm thinking, I really doubt the integrity of that statement. You know, I, I have issues with that. And uh, either they're... De- they're deceived, deluded. And, and I know some of you are going to come up afterwards and going to say, hey, we've never had an argument. Well, you've had a disagreement. Surely you've had a disagreement. And people that are close to one another, you're going to have that. That's not the issue. The issue is what you do with that disagreement. The issue is how you handle that disagreement. That's true in families. That's true in churches. It's not that you're ever going to agree on every single thing. But when you disagree, how do you handle that? Well, there's one way that we handle it that is absolutely a failure. And that's when we argue in the same patterns, in the same way, with the same points, with the same tempers, every single time. And, and you have two people who supposedly love each other, and they say, I'm angry because you said I was red. And they say, well, I'm angry because you called me purple. And they say, well, I called you purple because you said I was red. 
And suddenly you're on this merry-go-round. Look up at the screen at this. You see these? Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, there you go. Merry-go-round. See that merry-go-round? I think these are illegal now in some places. Uh, insurance companies don't like them. But I loved it as a kid. And you could get on that merry-go-round, put some people on there, and somebody could run. And the person who was running and pushing the merry-go-round usually wore a hole around the perimeter. You remember that deep hole that usually came around the perimeter of the merry-go-round? And I liked it, especially this model, because you could get on it and you could kind of put yourself up against that rail. And, and instead of flying off, you could kind of sit on that rail, you know, and just kind of ride it round and round and round and round. And, you know, that's how some couples and some people argue. I can't tell you how many times sitting with couples, you listen to them and they, they begin to hear themselves even where they're going round and round and round again on the same stuff. The same complaints, the same responses, the same words, the same tempers. You know that people will do that for years. Fifty years of that. And the Lord Jesus doesn't want us to do that. Do you think you're hardening someone's heart by arguing with them like that? Or do you think you're softening their heart? Hardening their heart or softening their heart? Hardening their heart. Hardening their heart. You're not going to soften somebody's heart by arguing the same way, same stuff, over and over and over and over again. And so somebody has to step off of the merry-go-round. Somebody has to say, okay, they said that I'm purple. And this time, I'm not going to call them red. This time, they call me purple, I'm not going to say a word. This time, I'm not going there. And the potential at that moment, because you have stepped away, is huge for the possibility that that life could be changed. Now, I want you to see a verse, Proverbs 26, verse 21, on the screen now. Proverbs 26, verse 21. There it is. It was. Go ahead. There it is, bottom of the screen. Proverbs 26, verse 21. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. In other words, if somebody's upset, they're angry, it doesn't take much to set them off. And so if you're in a relationship like that, and you're in this cycle of argument, 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 and you're hardening each other's heart is all you're doing. You're not winning arguments, you're just hardening hearts. And then what happens is uh, you create in each other such a sensitivity to certain words, certain phrases, certain topics, that any time you do it, you're going to set each other off. And so it lights, maybe. There it goes. And you've started an argument. The fire begins. The fire begins. And so there it goes. And it's going to burn and burn and burn as long as there's fuel. As long as somebody's fueling the fire. And to fuel it, you've got to have uh, sensitivity, being a quarrelsome person. You got to have that sensitivity going on. You got to have some subject that keeps going on and on. You got to have something that's going to consume you. Uh, the topic, in this case, the wax. And you got to have oxygen. But what if somebody, somebody steps into that discussion and, uh, and says, I'm not going there anymore, and they step away from it? What's going to happen to that argument? I mean, if there's no, if there's no place to, to, for oxygen anymore, the fire's going to go out. 
and it's going out in just a minute. There it went. Fire's out. And Jesus has called us to that, to do good, to do good, not to harden the heart, to soften the heart, not to go round and round and round and round again and again, but to exit those repetitious arguments, to put it away, to don't be the fuel, be the one that puts a lid on it, be the one who covers it, who who says, I'm not going to look at that offense, I'm going to look at a way to love this person, I'm going to look at a way to do good to this person. Number four. The fourth discipline, the love, the tough to love. Release the debts of your difficult people. Release the debts of your difficult people. In verse 44, Jesus said, And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, if you were reading that for the first time and you're coming off the street and you haven't been exposed to Christian teaching most of your life, and you read it says, Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know what most people are going to, how they're going to respond to that? What? What? They, they're, they're, they're persecuting me? They're spitefully using me? And you want me to pray for them? What do you want me to pray? God, get them? And if we're truthful, I mean, that's, Jesus said pray for them. Maybe we thought we were praying when we said that. God, get them. And, uh, and so what do we pray about? God doesn't leave us to wonder. In Mark 11, verse 25, listen carefully to this verse, and, and we're going to keep it on the screen. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything, anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. This verse is incredible if you're struggling with someone who's hurt you. Later on in Matthew 18, Jesus told the story of the unmerciful servant who owed a huge debt that he could never repay to his master. And his master, being gracious, canceled the debt, just made it go away. He canceled it, said you don't have to pay it. That unmerciful servant, forgiven much, turns to somebody who owes him a little bit and refuses to cancel the debt, will not let it go away, throttles that person, and the end of the story is not pretty for that unmerciful servant. Jesus says there's serious consequences for people who will not forgive. Now going back to our verse in in Mark 11, he says whenever you stand praying, so imagine that you're praying, you're out on the porch this afternoon, or tomorrow morning, or you're grilling, or you're sitting in a boat or whatever you're going to do the rest of the weekend, and you're praying. And, and you remember somebody that you have a problem with, someone who has hurt you, someone who has insulted you or wounded you, or whatever the case may be. What does he say to do? Pray as you're praying, and you remember this person. What does he say? He says, cancel the debt. God, that man, that woman that hurt me, they don't owe me anymore. The debt's gone. Lord, I cancel that debt. In the name of Jesus, I cancel that debt. And they don't owe me. I don't care if they ever repay me. Now, what's really significant about that passage of Scripture is that nowhere in the Scripture does it say that the individual who just got forgiven by you ever asked for forgiveness. 
Nowhere in the text does it say you wait till they ask. Jesus said, you don't wait till they ask. When you stand praying and you remember that person, do it. Cancel that debt. Cut them loose. They don't owe you anymore. And they may never ask. In fact, in many cases, when someone has wounded you or hurt you, they have forgotten about it and they've moved on. And you can nurse that bitterness, you can nurse that resentment all your life. And the only one that's going to be hurt is you. You know, when you and I resent someone and we're bitter towards them, we think somehow that's going to affect them. It's like drinking poison and thinking somebody else is going to die. Resentment and bitterness is only going to damage you and destroy you. And so release the debts of your difficult people. And then the last thing I believe Jesus shows us here in this passage, number five, stand on the truth of the gospel and God's word. Even when you don't feel like it, stand on the truth of the gospel and God's word. In verse 43, he explains to us why you and I need to do this. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I need to be like my Father. He's saying, son, daughter, I want you to be like my Father. What does he do? Well, when rain comes and people need it to rain, the good people get the rain, the not-so-good people get the rain. When people need sunshine, like a Memorial Day weekend, well, good people get the sunshine, and the not-so-good people get the sunshine. And you know what? There are times in my life where I didn't deserve the rain, and I didn't deserve the sunshine, and God brought it in my life anyway. So what's he saying? He's saying, be gracious. Be like your Father. Do these things because I am making you like me. I'm, I created you to become like me. I don't know about you, but as I read these things that Jesus taught, it's very easy for me to think there's no way in my human strength I could ever do this. And you can't. It is humanly impossible to do the things that Jesus said to do consistently apart from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. When you put your trust in Christ... What was supposed to happen was that when you put your trust in Christ and you surrendered to him and you put your trust that he died for your sins on the cross and that your sins were washed away by his blood, that when you trusted Christ like that, surrendered to him, what should have happened was that you should have been born again. The Holy Spirit was supposed to come inside you and change you from the inside out. And if you find in your life that it's absolutely impossible to love people. And you know you ought to, but you just can't. You just can't. One of the reasons you may be struggling is because you've never been born again. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You're his son, you're his daughter, and he's the father. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, born of God. Sometimes we think that we're going to heaven because I trusted Jesus. You're going to heaven because Jesus died for your sin, and he enabled you to be born again. And so the, the exciting thing about Christ is that he is not just a ticket to heaven. He doesn't just take away my sin. He changes people from the inside out. And you know, one of the marks that Christ has come into your life and that you have been born again is this very issue of whether or not you love people. 
In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, the apostle writes, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so if you're not able to love, you know, you know how many churches in our country are ripped apart by so-called Christians who are hating one another, doing hateful things to one another. And if you are struggling in that area, and you're saying, you know, I joined the church years ago, I, I became part of it, and I, I try to be involved, I try to participate, but, but pastor, I just don't love people. I don't love those people. I can barely stand the people I go to church with much less these other people i got to work with or these people i got to go to school with, whatever the case may be. And, and you may never say that out loud, but in your heart of hearts, that's what you know to be true. Listen, you can't work up the kind of love that's described in this passage. The only way that's possible is if you experience the love of God. You can't give what you don't possess. And until you receive the love of God in your life, until you receive his forgiveness, until you receive his Holy Spirit to come and live inside you, you're just going to be wasting your time and you're going to be struggling and you're going to be um, finding yourself defeated again and again and again in this matter of loving people. So prayer for salvation. Uh, we're going to do that in just a moment. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you are serious about this and you realize that God's gripped your heart on this, that, you know, I'm, I, with some people I get along okay, but with a, lot, a whole lot of people I'm just hateful. <laughs> I'm just hateful and I'm mean. And, and you want God to change your heart. We're going to talk about how to do that. Here's the bottom line. The choice to love difficult people is evidence of spiritual life. You know, it's not hard to love people that are easy to love. But when you choose to love difficult people, that's one of the markers of spiritual life. Life. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. A prayer for salvation a prayer for Jesus to wipe away your sins, a prayer that changes your destiny from hell to heaven, a prayer that invites him to come inside would go something like this. And if you need to trust Christ today, would you make this your own prayer? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you for opening my eyes to my own spiritual condition. And I realized this morning the reason I have the relationship problems that I have, the reason I find it so difficult to love difficult people is because I haven't let you into my life. And, um, and so this morning, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the many times I have wounded you and wounded others. And Lord, right now, as best I know how, I'm turning away from trying to do life on my own without you. And I'm turning to you, Lord, and I'm putting my trust in you. Thank you that Jesus died for my sins and paid the price to wash them away. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to come into my heart and to dwell there and to change me and bring me to heaven. Right now, Lord, I surrender my life to you completely.
And I ask you to come in and give me a new life and create in me a new heart. Thank you for hearing my cry. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.